In this episode of Easy Jazz Spotlight, host Ken Boyd talks with Vancouver singer and songwriter Amanda Wood. Amanda tells Ken what it was like being a performer during the pandemic, working with jazz artist Jeff Goldblum, and why it's important as an artist to perform in as many places as possible. Now, here's Ken. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Amanda. Yeah, um, I was born and raised in Victoria, British Columbia. I had a wonderful childhood and uh, found myself drawn to the arts from the very beginning. I think my mother said in preschool, I said I wanted to be um, like a Broadway star. I loved to sing and dance, and but I wasn't the kid that was jumping up on the tables. I was never demanding attention. I just knew that I loved it, and I would practice for hours in my room and sing. And I was so lucky to grow up in the era of the big divas, you know, Celine Dion, Barbara Streisand, Mariah Carey. And when I was first introduced to jazz, my mind was just blown by the talents of, you know, the likes of Ella Fitzgerald and Sarah Vaughan and Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. understanding this new level and depth to uh, where the art and culture came from. Yeah. And so uh, I went to university on a full ride scholarship for acting and discovered the bigger chess part of my voice uh, through musical theater. So cool. And then that to Vancouver, where I um, got on with a great agent, was doing lots of film and TV. And there was a big strike in the uh, unions. And I was working a waitressing job, and I had to sing Happy Birthday because all the guys knew I was the singer. And one night I sang Happy Birthday for a table. And the table next to me said, would you sing us a Christmas carol? Because it was in December. And I was so embarrassed. I said, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I said, please. And so I thought, what could I sing? And so I thought um, Silent Night would be the quietest song. And so I sang a little bit of Silent Night and he looked at his wife and he said, yep, she's got it. And he handed me his card and he said, I'm, I'm best friends and a, a regular patron at one of the jazz clubs here in town. And if you call and say that I heard you, you'll get a chance to, to get on. And I did. And within a few months, I was already preparing and singing at one of my first international jazz festivals. And it just took off from there. And how old were you there at that point? I would have been probably... 2223. What a great story. Yeah. I mean, that's a real Hollywood story, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, right? it was, yeah. And it was just so nice to have somebody recognizing it, it in me without me having to, um, like, it wasn't like some big audition or something, you know. Yeah. And of course, auditioning with film and television, and I had done other things and I was working. But when that strike happened, it really made me sort of question everything. And I immediately noticed a difference that sort of seemed to suit me in the music industry versus the acting industry. And this is specific to film and television, but I would walk into an audition for, say, a TV show, and it was like walking into sort of the twilight zone because I'd be in a room with five other women that looked just like me. You know, there was like the just all blonde, yada, yada. And, you know, and I'm always very friendly, like, hello, hello, hello. And it wasn't always the friendliest of rooms. And... (laughs) When I started working in the music industry, I realized, oh, there's room and space for everybody. You know, there's everybody is welcome. And my acting agent said something interesting. She said, you know, people can claim to be an actor and get away with it for a certain amount of time, you know, but you can't just fake being a musician. And I thought, oh, there you go. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah. So you've done some film and TV as well. Yeah. Yeah. I started doing that when I was about 15 years old, uh, based in Victoria. Um, you know, the unions here are great. They always make sure to write into all the contracts that they hire a certain percentage of local actors. And so you right. get a lot of 
great opportunities. And Victoria always has lots going on. But when I moved to Vancouver, I was on scholarship at University for Acting in the Phoenix Theatre Department at UVic. And I was between second and third year. And I came over and I was so lucky to get on with one of the top agents right away. And my plan had just been to sublet with my best friend and, and to do this and uh, go back for third year. Because you have to audition and it was you know, really cutthroat to get in each year. They, they made it a smaller and smaller class. So I knew that I'd made it into the third year, but once I started working and getting guest starring roles, I went back to my professors and also my father who'd been a university professor and asked them, you know, what should I do? And I was actually surprised that they all said that I should stay, that I should stay and keep going. It's a youth centric sort of industry. This is what you're trying to get your degree to get into. If you're already working, you know, you can come back and do, you know, finish off the degree at another time. So, uh, so that's what I did. So I went back to Vancouver and I got a full-time apartment and I stayed. Good for you. Well, we're glad you did. Yeah, thank uh, you. You also, uh, you also play a lot of instruments, right? Yeah, I grew up playing. Um, I played piano, um, a little bit of guitar. I played flute for many years and also trumpet. What's your favorite instrument to play? Oh, probably piano. My mom yeah. would say flute. Devastated when I changed from the flute to the trumpet. She was like, what happened? You know? <laughs> But all of a sudden, you know, for especially the first year, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think piano also because it's um, for me the best instrument to write on, you know. And so, but I I, I leave the uh, the performance to the pros. I uh, the the musicians that I'm so lucky to work with are truly world caliber. They and, are, yeah. And so I'm not going to get up there and plunk away. I'm going to leave that to them. But I've also realized that I don't like to be behind an instrument on stage. I know some of my more introverted friends feel a lot of comfort from that. Yeah. You know, perhaps a little bit of space between them and the audience. But I like to be at the front just with the microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you, when did you start singing professionally? When was your first? Do you remember your first paid gig as a singer? I guess my first paid gig would be like in a musical theater production was around 16, um, was in the musical theater show called MAME. And that was a professional show done um, in Victoria at the McPherson Playhouse. I remember that place. Yeah. But I mean, I, you know, I was auditioning from a young age. My mom always said it was like torture to watch because I would like, I, you know, I would get the part of Mary in the church play or I would get the solo in the, in the, in the, yeah, choir and things like that. But again, I was never the kid who was like, like me, me, me. I would just be very quiet about it. And I, I had this calling that because there was a part of me that, that kind of knew I could do it. And so my mom said it was just torturous. I would just sort of go home and stress about it, practice and sort of quietly go in and then do it. And then I would be, you know, so lucky and excited when I got the parts. But it was sort of like that all along. And, and even in high school, the tradition was always that the senior uh, student would get the lead in the musical theater productions. Um, but when I was in grade 11, I got the lead and then sort of, you know, it was this big deal because then I got it in grade 12 as well. But then all of those experiences led to my um, acting and musical theater scholarships, which continued to build my confidence in those things. Of course. Yeah. Good for you. Who did you listen to growing up? Yeah. Again, like all, I remember like I wore out Barbara Streisand's Broadway album. I just wore it out. Like when I was listening to CDs, you know, and yeah. um, on a ton. And then again, once I sort of, I didn't, my parents didn't grow up listening to jazz. And so that wasn't a part of our um, vocabulary at home. 
And so when I was introduced to that, that was sort of high school and especially going into university, that really things for me. And suddenly it was like this whole new um, landscape to be able to play with. But yeah, I definitely grew up listening to the divas, you know, like lots of Whitney Houston and all of those types and Mariah Carey and, and all of that. And, and then I went through a huge period of time where I listened to mostly British artists, oh. like Clark and Dusty Springfield, all the way up to Annie Lennox. And then when, when Adele came out, that was a big game changer for me because she like partnered so beautifully the old world or the sort of older style of musical production with, you know, live instrumentation, strings, background singers that were an intrinsic part to the song, along with a modern sensibility to the, you know, actual vocal arrangements, her way of singing, and also her lyrical content. And so that was like big for me. And that later influenced my, my new symphony show. So yeah, right. it's interesting. And you're, you're like, to me, uh, watched you perform is like old Hollywood glamour. You know, the you. Rita Hayworths and all that, you know, the Ingrid Bergmans and classy lady sure. stuff. Yeah. I was just in Hollywood. I was just there a week ago and we went to Grauman's Chinese Theater and <laughs> and we went to go see all the handprints. And I actually got a private tour of the inside of the theater and the, the history of it. And I was really um, captivated again by sort of that era because they had this era of mystique. But yeah, they did. I, they didn't have social media. People weren't filming them on their off days, getting groceries or whatever, you know. Exactly. An era, you know, so I, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah. Yeah. And you were in L.A. and you cut an album there. And I heard that uh, Michael Bublé was in the room across the hall making another album, a Christmas album at the time. Or It was his first Christmas album, which turned out to be one of the biggest, you know, um, Christmas albums of all time. And also a huge marker in his career it sort of relaunched everything for him. Not that he was in any way needing any relaunching, but there was sort of, a, it was an interesting time. Um, David Foster helped me to get connected into Capitol Studios and Michael had given me some career advice about an, a year earlier, which led to the creation of the album that we ended up doing and finalizing down there. And it was all just very magical, you know, we got to work with Frank Sinatra's mic. And I was gonna uh, ask you that, yeah, the microphone story. <laughs> Sort of like hallowed ground you know with the echo chambers and you literally go down 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 under capitol studios and they have this the famous echo chambers below which Crazy. created their, their reverb and um and i just remember we were uh, miles black who was um my pianist and and amazing um uh producer we were uh, looking around and, and they were sort of doing some technical stuff. It was going to be a little bit and, and he spotted a piano and he sort of went over and I said, Oh, you know, could we just play with it a little bit? And they sort of hummed and hawed. And I thought, Oh, it just looked like an old piano in the corner. Wow. And I said, well, okay. But they said, just be careful. That's Nat King Cole's piano. And we were like, what? <laughs> we went for lunch and we skipped lunch that day and just played the piano. So it was fantastic. But yeah, was seeing Michael at work was really neat. And it also was, um, the first time that I had seen, you know, just the amount of layers and depths of pers of perfection that went into a, an album of his caliber. Okay. And so, well, one of the days they invited me to come over and Shania Twain was Skyping in from her home in Europe. And they were like going over some vocal arrangements and already done most of this it was mostly post-production. And they even like flew in the Papini sisters, uh, oh. one of the tracks just to like redo a few lines. So they flew them in from England. And I was like, oh, hi, guys. <laughs> no so kidding. It's like a whole other level, you know, but I felt pretty excited. We would have lunch in the break room together. And 
it just all was incredibly magical the whole thing like we took over it was like canadian flag out front it was really oh cool. fantastic yeah you're also a songwriter yeah yeah so do you do you, do you uh do you get your inspiration from life from a memory from other music or do you just get a pen and paper and just go to it definitely the first two yeah i um i enjoy co-writing i come in with ideas and i love to collaborate i have friends who again i think it's kind of a personality thing they're more introverted and they you know they're they're in furiously writing journals you know have just like you know copious amounts of of notes and writing and that was never my style i realized that i wanted to have it was almost like the reverse i had things to say but i grew up listening to so singers who didn't write their own music mm -hmm. right but all almost all the singers that i've that i've mentioned today outside of mariah carey none of them write their own music so it was never sort of something was even on my mind like i never thought to do that whereas my other friends who were truly songwriters they were writing away because it was coming out of them whereas i would spend hours and hours practicing and performing so i think of myself as a performer who also songwrites i don't think of myself you know as, as the opposite in, in a level of priority or importance but i have had the chance to work with some fantastic songwriters down in nashville and also locally in new york i got to write with some friends and um and those experiences are really great and it is a totally different level of vulnerability when you're on stage and singing from your own experience for sure i can imagine i mean you talked about miles black i mean you know the master of everything right he's got i think his name's attached to 400 different songs i believe it's crazy oh, at least. He, has yeah. a, he has a uh glenda ray and they have at least that many songs at least yeah yeah your album, uh, the album I, I was listening to the other day, the entire album was My Love. Thank you. Which is the title track. Where did you come up with the idea? Oh, there it is. Yay. The arrangement for uh, the Doobies Brothers, Minute by Minute. I love how you did that. It was great. Yeah, that was um, that was so much fun. Um, we, oh gosh. Yeah, I mean, the whole process of creating the album was so much fun because, of course, you start with more material and, you, and then you narrow it down and see what really ends up working in the end. And sometimes it's not what you think. You're like, oh, I really wanted this. But this little one ended up being a star, you know, on its own. So um, that arrangement, I think, first started to come into fruition through working with Diane Lines. Mm. Uh, and is an amazing artist, um, amazing um, singer, pianist, um, arranger. She's such a generous partner to me on stage whenever we work together. So um, that was something we had been working together on and then brought in Miles and, and it, it all came together. But yeah, it was so much fun. You got a lot of standards in there, like Fly Me to the Moon. I love that tune as well. Then you got yeah. the Joe, Joe Cocker tune, Unchain My Heart. Well, Ray Charles. Oh, Ray Charles. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So we, we sort of thought, well, how could we make, how could we infuse our own, you know, jazz inspiration to it and, and making it swing was, was, uh, again, genius. Again, Diane had a big part of that. And, um, and then the whole collaboration kind of came together, but yeah, those, those moments are, are special. We wanted to be able to pay tribute to, you know, the, the standards that we love and then create our own new covers. You know, we were just having a, a debate about this backstage with some of my musician friends the other day about, um, when you sing pop songs, you refer to them as singing a cover of the song. But when you sing a jazz song, you're paying tribute and it's a standard. And I thought that was sort of an interesting distinction. Yeah, it's great. I love your version too, The Drifters, This Magic Moment. Thank 
you. That's that great. Song on the album too. And again, um, we really thought about all of the background vocals and how important that was, and how that was sort of something that was lost for a while in pop production because these songs were all pop popular songs in their time. You know, fantastic songs. So, yeah, we we brought in um, Mike Taylor, a uh, fantastic singer, uh, and he helped me with that. And we had one of the um, one of our we brought up the songwriter Rachel Thibodeau, who had, I'd worked with in Nashville. She came up to help do some of the vocal production in Vancouver, and she helped on some of those vocals. So I'm on there in the backgrounds. Rachel's on there, and then also uh, Mike Taylor's on there as well. And you, how many days a year do you think you travel? Well, not since uh, hardly any since COVID. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. I'm, traveling for you know family and fun and all of that now especially since we have kids we've been trying to get out and see as many family and friends you know abroad as possible because some of them haven't met our youngest daughter Pippa yeah. before I was traveling a ton and I yeah. was going abroad what I would do is I would book shows and festivals and then I would partner it with a residency at a jazz club so that I sort of had a landing spot and either before or after or bookended and that worked really well for me. And I really enjoyed that. And then when I would be away living in the hotel for the jazz clubs, especially in Asia, I just felt like it was um, performers boot camp. I would sing six nights a week for four hours a night. Wow. Days to myself. And so I was eating healthy, working out. And that's where a lot of my creative processes came from with regards to creating new shows um creating new albums creating you know all of this new material would come out of those opportunities because you have to create space in your life for the creativity to flow and i find myself now in this position coming out of covid where um you know we've got these two kids and we've got um, I've had to take on work with my husband's company because I couldn't launch my new symphony show. And so my life looks a lot different. And I'm having, I'm feeling almost like a feeling of like grieving, grieving for the loss of that space in my life. And that would so, make sense. Yeah. yeah. I remember when COVID, when we first went into lockdown, I was helping as much as I could from home in as many creative ways. I was participating with daily sort of singing inspirational things. I was partnering up with a, a, a choir and we would do like a daily vocal challenge and post it and encourage others to sing. I had a, I did, you know, just, I, I'm not a music teacher, but I, I did free music classes for children. Good for and that, you. It's gotten, I think, almost 700,000 views that just went nuts on Facebook. Incredible. We did 10, 10, I did 10 of those classes. But then when I realized it wasn't going away and all of my work was starting to evaporate and it was years of work to prepare all of this, once that started to happen, I actually had a hard time singing at all. I felt actually like reclamped, like I, I mm -hmm. had sort of back. And so um, I couldn't even sing my kids in a lullaby at one point because wow. it would make me felt like a, such a deep loss. So it's really tricky when it's the double-edged sword of, of, of the blessing and the curse of like who you are is what you do. And when, when, when that's taken away, then, then there's, yeah, just this feeling of loss. And so I'm kind of that now. Good for you. You play with a lot of people too. You work with a lot of people, including actor Jeff Goldblum. What was that like with him? That was in LA yeah. and that was fantastic. Um, yeah, we were so, just so so excited and so honored to, to get the chance to perform with them. I, I, I sang the song Thought About You, and uh, 
and I was counting it in and I, and I realized I was out of his sight line. So he just went for it. And it was, I just remember thinking, oh God, it's so fast. I took a trip on a train and I thought about you. <laughs> That's <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. You know, the band was fire and he really surprised me. I mean, you know, he's such a passionate guy. I mean, he's got these long legs, he's playing and going at the piano. You know, it was really neat. So yeah, that was a ton of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And then you also, uh, you played in China. You played everywhere around the world, haven't you? You've traveled a lot. <laughs> lots of places to go but i yes i have had a lot of uh a lot of experiences and i i encourage all younger performers anybody who's watching this you know who this might apply to or really i shouldn't say that just younger but anybody if you get the opportunity or an invitation say yes it just leads to more and more and by just saying yes and opening yourself up to those opportunities um your artistry will grow it's just so much by simply performing in a different location with different musicians by seeing the response from an audience who again might culturally be different than you how do you adjust mm -hmm. how do you know what do you learn about yourself through the process so anytime you can just say yes <laughs> great advice great advice amanda um who haven't you worked with you'd like to work with oh oh gosh well, I'm such an advocate for female empowerment. Um, I love working with women. I'm just, you know, I, I remember um, when Celine Dion and Barbra Streisand did a, um, they did a, a duet together. You know, I that, remember that, yeah. You know, um, I would just love to sing with some of those those big powerhouse singers. I, that would be a dream for me is to be able to work with them. I would also love to do a duet with Michael Bublé, that would be an incredible, uh, incredible thing. But um, yeah, I'm, he seems I'm just like a really nice guy, Michael, down to earth. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He was very kind to me, and he um, just was very generous in the way he did things. And I think what I've noticed, as I've noticed with myself and others too, is that when you have children, it softens you a bit and it reprioritizes things. And it makes you look back on your own life with such great appreciation for all that you've been able to do up until that point. And I know that when his son got sick, it was yeah. a thing for him and his wife and his family and coming out of it with their son still with them, um, I think has just created a, such a natural and authentic um, joy in him and it's just palpable so it's yeah. it's lovely yeah so what's next for amanda wood mm, i'd like to re uh rebook my symphony show so when i was living in hong kong and performing there i started to think about you know that like i mentioned that sort of influence of british singers on myself and, and i grew up in victoria so it's very british you know with the parliament buildings and of course yeah my mother's a real royal fan, and so I, one of my earliest memories is of watching Princess Diana get married. I mean, I was probably, I think, two years old, but I have this memory of it. And um, so I wrote a show called From Britain with Love, and it was intended as a soft seat theater show, which we did debut in Vancouver to sold out shows. And it's uh, a celebration of the female British invasion from the 50s, 60s to today. And I created, edited film that connects in the different segments. It starts off in black and white mod London and then we go all the way up present day with artists like Amy Winehouse and Jesse J and um, and of course Adele. So we do a special um, James Bond tribute uh, and the only cool. song that isn't a female song is Elton John's Candle in the Wind and we do a special tribute to Princess Diana and oh. uh, it's, it's sort of I come out in a black dress and, and we um, 
there's an original song by Roy Tan that we played at, at the end of it and we watch a bit of the funeral procession, which was so moving. So um, when I debuted those shows, I, at the time I had been on the board with the young patron circle of the Vancouver Opera and some of the people from there and the higher ups of the VSO had come to the show because Miles was in it as well. And we were thrilled that they stayed around at the end to talk with us and their advice from both mm-hmm. parties would translate so beautifully into a symphony pops show and that the symphonies were really looking for multi-generational shows because they're trying to build up their pipeline for the future and so mm-hmm. you know perhaps someone in their 70s or 80s um might have been you know a subscriber for 30 years but if they don't have their daughter or granddaughter come to the shows to understand what it is all about um they're going to lose that subscriber forever and so by having these multi-generational shows you know three or even four generations can come and maybe then they would subscribe. So that's sort of the idea of it all. And um, so we worked really hard on all of those uh, orchestrations and uh, created new overtures and uh, refined quite a bit of it. But it takes almost two years to book international symphony shows. Lots so that. So now the, the the next challenge is to get that booked again and then to get out on the road with it. So. That's what's coming up. And then I'm just performing locally in the interim. I'm doing a show tomorrow night for a big fundraiser for the YWCA. We did a big show for the Lionsgate Hospital Foundation um, last Saturday and um, and those types of things. I'm just actually uh, talking with Cody Carey, who's a, another David uh, Foster uh, Warner artist. Um, we just found a fantastic uh, cover duet version of a song by Lady Gaga from the movie Shallow. And yes. So having this morning about getting into the studio um, with our good friend Trevor Hoffman on piano and production. And we want to make our own version of that. So that should be coming out in the new year. Fantastic, Amanda. Well, good luck with all of that. It's great to talk to you today. Thank you for your time. And thanks for being part of the uh, Jazz Spotlight. Thank you so much. It was really, really sweet to have me. So thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. This has been another edition of Easy Jazz Spotlight, produced by the online radio station Easy Jazz FM. Join us for our next episode.